Blog Talk Radio. The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow man, hoping we can make it better. think we can and that's why we're here and that's why we try to be here every week uh we've been a little uh a little shy of that lately uh there's a lot going on but uh we're gonna uh, try and shore that up uh actually we have randall bomber next week so uh things are starting to line up um but uh i'm so happy to welcome you back to Blog Talk Radio. I am John Fisher, and uh, I'm speaking to you from uh, on behalf of the Catch Ministry and our web uh, our website catch uh, catchjohnfisher.live. If you want to check out more of what's going on, you can do that there. But uh, to get right to our guest, because uh, he's not new. To any of us, we've we've had him on a number of times, and he's one of our most popular guests. Uh, I've just I've always been thrilled whenever I encounter somebody who is is intellectual or smart and and also a Christian. That's a it's an interesting combination. And uh, I remember in in college days when I discovered. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, or uh, and then in, in the past discovered somebody like Blaise Pascal, and then C.S. Lewis and others. Um, Oz Guinness, our guest uh, today, is one of our uh, most well living, <laughs> living, thinking Christians uh, right now that we desperately need because, uh, we need to think Christianly about everything. And, uh, Oz does that just about as well as anybody I know. So, um, we're going to talk about a book that was out, uh, released last year. And, uh, it is called Zero Hour America, History's Ultimatum over freedom and the answer we must give zero hour america oz welcome back to blog talk radio thank you john always a pleasure to be with you since we've known each other since the 60s oh my a long time back (laughs) yep that's for sure wow um well this uh well, I'm so glad you wrote this book because uh, there's so much uh, going on these days that it's very hard to make sense of it. And uh, I think, uh, as all of us, believers or not, uh, this is an incredibly uh, difficult time. You know, I, I I remember back to '68. We thought that was uh, 
was a tumultuous time, and it was, uh, but uh, nothing like, I think, what we're experiencing today. I, I just sat down and off the top of my head wrote down a bunch of things uh, that, that I have noticed happening in this country that we've never seen before, things like in, incredible division that we're experiencing, a polarization of people, a demonization of the other side, uh, hatred, uh, working together to solve problems is just apparently out of the question, um, a lack of respect. Uh, there's a secret cadre of bad guys behind everything, a total <laughs> breakdown of trust, no centralized source of news. Everyone stays in their silo. For the first time in history of the nation, no peaceful transfer of power. By January 6th, I, I, I thought I was watching an election in Latin America, uh, not the United States. No respect in the institutions of government claims that, claims that they have all been weaponized by the other side. Um, huh, Oz, <laughs> what, what is happening? I mean, how do you get your arms around some of this? I know you've tried to do that in this book. So uh, um, uh, there's my first question. It's a nice, simple one. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, let me broaden the perspective for a moment and look at the West, of which America is the lead society, and not just America, because people need to think okay. broadly, too. You know, we're in what's called a civilizational moment. Most of the great civilizations of history take Greece, Rome, and many others, they're only in history books, in ruins, or museums. In other words, they rose by some inspiration, dynamism. But at a particular point, they lost touch with what made them great. And at that point, the civilizational moment, there's only three broad options. Renew the original inspiration, mm. replace it with an adequate one, or decline. Now, clearly, if you look at the West after 2,000 years, it's one of the most powerful civilizations ever because it's changing the entire world, even its enemies. But the Jewish and Christian faiths are the single strongest inspiration. And yet, most of the intelligentsia of the entire West have rejected that. And now we see all sorts of ideologies, the so-called war in the West, which are not only against the Jewish and Christian faith, they're against the West itself. So we're in a major civilizational crisis. Now, you were talking about America. I'm going to pick out of all the things you said, the polarization, because that one mm -hmm. I think is easy to understand. Some people look at the social media. Some people look at the tension between the coastals, you guys in California, right. and the heartlanders in the South and the Midwest. Some look at the difference between nationalists and the so-called globalists like George Soros. All those things play a part. But the deepest division in America is between those who understand the Republican freedom from the perspective of the American Revolution, 1776, which was largely, although not completely, biblical, and those who understand American freedom from the perspective of ideas coming down from the French Revolution. Above all, notions like cultural Marxism and postmodernism. Now, you mentioned 68. 
That was a yep. crucial year. Cultural Marxism was born in the 1920s in Italy under Antonio Gramsci. It slowly grew and was powerful in the 60s through Herbert Marcuse, whom we all remember, at the University of San Diego. But that convulsive year, 68, the radicals realized that although Martin Luther King was assassinated, Senator Kennedy assassinated, a hundred American cities were ablaze, they wouldn't win in the streets. So if you remember, they called for a long march through the institutions, win the press and the media, win the colleges and universities, win the culture industry, Hollywood and entertainment, and then you win the culture. Hmm. Now, 50 odd years later, you can see the inroads of the radical left, now often called wokeism, have gone very, very deep. And so you've got this basic clash between the two revolutions. Wow. Can you explain a little uh, a little more detail for, uh, you know, uh, those of us with more simple minds, the uh, the difference between the the uh, American Revolution and the French Revolution. Well, take John some of the basics. I mean, the American Revolution coming out of Exodus and Deuteronomy through what was called the discovery of the Hebrew Republic in the 17th century has a very realistic view of humanity. Therefore, you have checks and balances, separation of powers. Why? Humans are sinners, and they can abuse power, whereas the French Enlightenment and the Enlightenment at large was utopian. Or again, they're different sources. One comes from the French Enlightenment, the other comes from the Bible. And they have differences all down the line. Now, currently, the big difference is not over freedom, it's over justice. Now, to their great credit, both sides hate and fight injustice. I love that. Mm-hmm. And you do, too. Mm-hmm. But how does the, the left do it, the radical left, the cultural Marxists? Well, you know, they analyze the way we speak, speak, discourse. And they're looking for who's the majority, who's the minority, who's the oppressor, who's the victim. So you find a victim, and then you weaponize the victim as a group might be racial, George Floyd, it might be sexual, or whatever. You set up a conflict of powers in order to subvert and overthrow the status quo. But remember, in the postmodern understanding, there is no truth. So if there's no truth, all there is is power. So what is the only possible outcome you can have if you have a conflict of powers? The only peace you can ever hope to have is a peace where one power is so strong it can put down every other power. In other words, authoritarianism. Right. And that's why the left always ends in an expanded state and has an extreme in totalitarianism. And I would say bluntly, the revolutions of the left never succeed. Their oppressions never end. And the futures they promise never come. Now, you compare that justice with a biblical view, say the prophets or our Lord. You address truth to power. You call for an about turn of heart and mind, repentance, metanoia. You work towards forgiveness, a 
freeing of the past and his guilt and his opening up of a future of a second chance, and you work eventually towards reconciliation. You know, so as the Jews put it, who is a hero? The person who defeats his enemies? No. The person who can turn an enemy into a friend through the way he works for justice. Now, that, that was put very quickly, but you can yeah. see with all sorts of issues, the difference in the French Revolution and the American Revolution is night and day, and America has to choose. So you think of Lincoln in the last uh, 150 years ago. America cannot continue half slave, half free. And he quotes our Lord, a house divided cannot stand. And I would say today, America cannot continue half 1776, the ideas of the American Revolution, and half 1789, the heirs of the ideas of the French Revolution. That's the polarization you're talking about. The trouble is today, no Lincoln. No one addresses the big issues and calls America back. Hmm. Do you who? Do you think it's do you think it's possible that someone could that's rise up? The, that's the million dollar question. Mm-hmm. Um, only God knows the answer to that one. I certainly don't. And the inroads yeah. of wokeism have gone very, very far now. I mean, it used to be thought impossible that the radical left would ever infiltrate business and the military. They were the bastions of conservative, not now, your woke business, mm-hmm. woke military, and so on. And those things have gone very, very far. Mm-hmm. Now, I uh, hope, I pray for a leader who would do that. And so far, there isn't one. I mean, Trump talks about make America great again. And Biden talks about restoring the soul of America. But neither of them say, what made America great in the first place? That's Hmm. the key issue. Hmm. Um, Is it as simple as uh, you you have talked about the left uh, uh, speaking from the standpoint of the French Revolution. Um, uh, is it as simple as uh, the left is wrong and the right is right? No, of course not. Because there are parts of the right. I mean, let's take the... I By left, I don't mean liberal. For me, okay. liberal is a very honorable word. That's to do with uh, freedom and generosity. And I'm, you know, take 19th century liberals like John Stuart Mill. Liberal is very honorable. Um, The left is quite different, what I was talking about. But Uh I've got to say, a friend of mine says, what about the ugliness of the right? Much of the extreme right is ugly, extreme, and often also evil. Yeah. But there's a simple reason why in America the left is more dangerous. In two words, the social location. In other words, where are they powerful? So the left begins its strength in the universities. And of course, that's incredibly important. Then you add the press and media, and now a good deal of politics, and as I said, woke business and many, many other areas, and certainly a good deal of the culture industry. Um, the left is far more powerful in terms of its social location, and that's why 
while both extremes are wrong and sometimes evil, the, the left is infinitely more dangerous to America. Okay. Um, you've used that term, that term woke, uh, wokeism. Uh, can you help me, Oz? I, I still, after all of this, I do not understand where that comes from or really what it means. Can uh, Well, John, it comes from your world. <laughs> you know, the first person to use woke was uh, Leadbelly, writing and singing as a blues singer, a songwriter, in 1938. And for him, stay woke, those two words, meant stay alert to injustice, which, of course, is terrific. Terrific. Yeah. All of us should be alert to injustice, as I said. But the word is now... It's a homely word. That's why people don't think there's anything very serious about it. But it's been freighted with all the machinery and paraphernalia of what in our day, in the 60s, you remember Paulo Freire, he would talk about conscientization. In other words, you've got to raise the critical consciousness of people so they see how oppressed they really are and so on. And so woke is the homely word for the old Marxist term, conscientization, which is ugly. A lot of those old terms, the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, you know, and all that, they've dropped those terms and they've gone far more down home in order to get across. But okay. it comes from your world of music. Ah, interesting. Conscientization, is that a big word for um, how to think? What yes, how think. to think, but how to be, what by, they meant by that was how to become critically aware of how oppressed uh -huh. you are. Because their basic analysis, I mean, Christians would say sin is a problem in the world. They would say, no, the basic thing is the ruled and the rulers, the oppressed and the victims, and so on. And when you get people aware of that basic power equation, then they start to join the left. Um. Okay, let's get a little bit further into the the zero hour concept. Um, what? Why is this a time of ultimatum? And 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 what would you say is that ultimatum? Well, you know, John, if you think of an old book, The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway, novel. <laughs> Two men are discussing bankruptcy. And one of them says to the other, how did it happen? And the other one says, well, in two ways. Bankruptcy happened in two ways. First, gradually, and then suddenly. And that, in a way, is what happened after 50 years of slow incremental infiltration, when many, many people never had a clue what was happening. Suddenly, in the last five years, Wokeism, the radical left, cultural Marxism, whatever you like to call it, has gone countrywide. And if it goes much further, that's the end of the American experiment. You take, say, the republic. Among many things the republic assumes is citizenship. Well, citizenship was thrown out in the public schools. There's no civic education. So young people are not being educated as citizens. And now in the Biden administration, you've got an open-door policy in the borders. 
say you've got seven or eight million who come in, they're not being assimilated or into the American way. They're not going to be citizens. They're just here because they want a better life. Now, those two things combined in the public schools and open-door immigration, that is literally the death knell of the republic and any notion of citizenship. But you don't hear citizenship ever mentioned in the discussion of, say, the open border. So the republic, and I think the American republic actually is an incredible idea, but almost nobody defends it. So the Democrats talk about saving democracy. Even that is very often deceitful. But nobody defends the republic. And the framers were wary of democracy. They set up a republic. Hmm. In other so, words, you haven't got long, John. This election may be one of the last where unless there's a turnaround, and at the moment there's no champions arising who are capable of calling the nation to such a turnaround. Yeah. This may be close to the end for the republic. Yeah. yeah. What's the difference, uh, Oz, between a republic and a democracy? Well, start with democracy. It's become just a mathematical counting of heads on election day. But it, you remember Lincoln's famous phrase, government of the people, by the people, for the people. He was quoting a minister, Theodore Parker in Boston, who said that about three months earlier. Lincoln had read it. He was quoting. And many people forget Parker was quoting John Wycliffe, the English hmm. reformer, in the 14th century. And Wycliffe was saying, we've got to get the Bible in English into the hands of ordinary people. In other words, out of the hands of the priest and the clergy and the hierarchy. If you get the Bible into everybody's hands, then you may have a chance of the possibility of government by the people, for the people, and so on. Hmm. Now, in other words, democracy should be about self-government, not just counting heads of 51% on election day. Now that's gone. Very little self-government left now. Now, then you take the difference between the republic. Well, the republic is not just you don't have a king. It went back to the Hebrew republic. So the notion that in Exodus and then Deuteronomy, you have God's way of founding his nation. Well, it was, you know, the Greek system monarchy, the rule of one, aristocracy, the rule of the few, and democracy, the rule of the many, of the people, all of them with a corrupt form, an ideal form and a corrupt form. And, and the, the Hebrew system is none of those. It, it's a covenantal republic. In other words, you, had, you look in Exodus, you have freely chosen consent. Exodus is the origin of the consent of the government. You have a morally binding pledge. The Pledge of Allegiance is actually, we the people, very, very important, undermined, of course, by Colin Kaepernick and so on. And then you have something, the, the reciprocal responsibility of everyone for everyone. Later, one for all, all for one, the three musketeers. But, you know, the Jewish notion, every Jew responsible for every Jew. That's the Republican notion. Every American is responsible for the American Republic. So there are all sorts of foundational ideas that are terribly important, which means that citizenship should be an understanding citizenship. So you've got to bring every generation into it. That's what public schools once did, but no longer. 
Do you think, oh boy, you know, do, do you think people understand this, what's going on? I mean. No, no. <laughs> uh, John, as I said, civic education collapsed at the end of the 60s. And then you add things like, we don't have history. You want history today, you Google a fact to settle an argument, but that's not understanding history. So politics on Capitol Hill, where I live here in D.C., is trench warfare. There's no statesmanship. There's no historical wisdom. Well, another reason why things will go down the drain, unless you have a sense of history and the wisdom that history brings. Uh, what? Um... Now, these are challenging times. Boy, and we've really yeah. got to think through. People understand what citizenship is, what we need to call for while there is still time. And, of mm-hmm. course, those of us who are followers of Jesus have an added impetus. The tragedy is many Christians have opted out. You know, I go around the country and people say, well, I'm keeping my head down. I want to be faithful like the early church. <laughs> That's fundamentally wrong. The early church lived under an imperial dictatorship. No room to move at all. They were faithful, but just privately. We are living in a free republic shaped by the Hebrew republic in which everyone was responsible. Mm. So for anyone, above Mm. all Christians, to drop out, not vote, and so on, is not only a failure of citizenship, it's a failure of discipleship. Uh, Well, that's a good good word. Um, You know... um, we talk here at the catch uh, a lot about millennials because you know most of us um most of the people who actually take part in the catch are tend to be uh boomer types you know my age our age and older um but we we've wanted to get uh, an awareness going among our people about the younger generation, and, and especially we have a burden for the millennials, which would be the, the I think now they're twenty four between twenty four and forty, roughly. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think do you think it's different for them? Do they see the world differently than this than we do? Uh, is there maybe more hope? Um, you know, if all those over 50 just, you know, gave gave the thing over to the younger folks, would it by possibly there be more hope for America? Do you understand my question? Yeah, but there's no evidence that the millennials have a great appreciation for the American founding and the yeah. distinctiveness of the republic. You know, put it another way, John. Yeah. Wokeism is a cultural war, a culture war. Culture wars are intergenerational conflicts. You don't settle them in one generation. Huh. Always the key is whether you win the hearts and minds of the very youngest. So millennials are actually irrelevant. Generation Z often shows signs it has a very low view of faith and a very low view of freedom. Now, both of those are sobering, because if you lose the youngest generation, eventually you lose the culture war. 
Mm. But the millennials have not distinguished themselves in any great way. Interesting. Um, do you think they could? Well, I mean, anyone of any generation could, of course. You just yeah. need to think and get down. Yeah. I mean, Max Dupree used to say that first duty of a leader, define reality. Where are we? And so I asked, you know, here, what's the problem, Trump, pro or con? No, no. Can you describe the American crisis with no mention of Trump or Biden? Mm-hmm. In other words, you've got to, def- you've got to define reality, right. say what the problem is, and then go back to the real solutions. So it can be a member of any generation, older, millennial, Generation Z, or whatever. It's the gen- I, and generationalism, you know, it's a generational thing. You wouldn't understand. That's another form of relativism. Uh, which is wrong, uh-huh. which is dangerous. Truth yeah. isn't relative. Yeah. Any generation can discover the truth if they think and search. Yeah. It seems, though, Oz, that we're against such a heavy, uh, such a heavy wave that um, what can one person do? You know, I mean, it, it, how, you know, well, yeah. what, what, what do we tell well, each other think of so- as believers? Think of Solzhenitsyn. Sort of saying, one word of truth outweighs the world. Hmm. Or you think of the old Christian maxim, one person with God is a majority. <laughs> so, look, it, it, it is overwhelming looking. But we're called to be faithful, even if we're a oh. remnant, and we're a very, very large remnant. So there's no time to be discouraged. We should be people of hope and confidence. Part of the fraudulent appeal of the left is their offer of hope. They they talk about utopia and so on. Appeals to young people. Never worked out. But if ever there were people of hope, it's Jews and Christians with the messianic vision we have. So this mm-hmm. is a great day to be a person of faith. And we must not be discouraged and move out, however small or few we are. Hmm. Is that what you mean, Oz, uh, in the the subtitle of your book, uh, History's Ultimatum Over Freedom and the Answer We Must Give? Talk about that just as we close, the answer we must give. I would argue that in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, we have the basis for the most human-friendly society ever conceived. The highest view of human dignity, humans made in the image of God. The strongest view of truth, a very robust view of words over against the social media. Uh, A strong view of freedom and justice and peace and covenant. If we explore these biblical ideas, we really are the people of the good news, the best news ever. Hmm. We've got to get out there with confidence and courage and share it. Because it's the key to so many of these big political and cultural questions we have in our time. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. Um, Well, our our time is up, but that's a really great place to leave it. Um, I I urge you all to to read uh, 
to get and read Zero Hour America uh, by Oz Guinness. And uh, and and Oz, what's what's next? You've always got a project going. <laughs> you got to have something. And what's going to be next for you? Well, since that one, uh, Signals of Transcendence, I love that about 10 stories of people who had experiences that turned them into searchers. Mm. And I'm just finishing a book now on the crisis of the West, which is really where I began today. Okay. Okay. So that's going to be a a continuation of of the things we've been talking about here then? I hope so. The civilizational moment. The civilization civilizational moment. Oz, uh, it's always such a pleasure to uh, have you and to listen to your thoughts. And and I appreciate that uh, you have devoted your life to this. And uh, uh, as far as I can tell, no one but the Lord asked you to do this. And I am so <laughs> happy that uh, you have made that decision. And I pray that that you will, as long as you can, you continue to uh, talk to us about uh, the world around us and and what being a believer means in that context. So thank you so much. Well, I'll keep trying. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to hear your voice again. God bless. Okay. Fantastic. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. There you go, folks. Can't get much better than that. You're listening to the Cash. Wow. If you like me, you better go back and listen to that. Radio. <laughs> Connecting life. There's so much there. And uh, thing I'm most excited about is that Oz really did give us some things to do there at the end. And uh, you'll find that in his book, Zero Hour America. And uh, his most recent book, Signals of Transcendence. And let's just keep on board here. Uh, There's more to come. God bless you all. Bye-bye.